in hindsight, I'm really angry about the whole thing because of all the 58,000 and change people who lost their lives, and I can't really equate a really good reason for it. It, it didn't make sense then, really, and now it really doesn't make sense. During his service in Vietnam, D. Simmons was frequently exposed to the defoliant Agent Orange, so much so that it would cake onto his skin, and removing it, he says, was like peeling off potato chips. Like so many others, D., as a young soldier, had no protection from the chemical spray. Now age 76, he lives with less than half his lung capacity. D. returned from Vietnam with other consequential wounds of war, that were less of a physical nature. He was so haunted by what he saw, what he lived through, that he tried, without much success, to erase it from his mind. Don't talk about it, don't think about it, just avoid it. That was, as you might imagine, extremely difficult and became even more so when Dee retired from work life and had more time on his hands to remember things he wanted to forget. But over the last few years, D has moved from avoidance to, as they say, immersion. Don't erase it, face it, talk about it to the extent your emotions will allow. That's the path D is on, and it's helped. He's sharing his story in part so that younger generations can learn. And we thank D for that and for sharing with us. Tell me about your folks. They were both military. Your dad was in the Navy, World War II. Right. And your mom was Coast Guard. Right. So was there this sense that D. Simmons was going to have to serve? Not, not really. He didn't talk much about it. My mom did because she was replacing people that were heading over. And they weren't necessarily glad to see her coming in, taking their job as a switchboard operator. And then the next one teaching swimming. But my dad never mentioned much. He showed a lot of pictures that he was in British Dutch Guiana. Not exactly a free fire zone. And he was a chief petty officer, as I recall. Didn't spend much time with him on that stuff at all. So what came about for you when Vietnam is, is beginning, and this is 1969, when you get, or 68, was it, that you went Yeah, in? well, 68, uh, actually 67. You know, I wasn't uh, going to college at that point, And I had graduated high school after some bumps in that road. But I wanted to, you know, it was getting heated up pretty good. And I wanted to... I knew I'd go. They didn't have the draft numbers yet, but I didn't want to gamble it. So I joined the reserves, a friend of mine had done. And you can pick your MOS and where you want to go and do stuff and, you know, one weekend a month. And So you, know. you figured that that would be a safer route. Right, right. I mean, it's, uh, I'm not ashamed to say I wouldn't like to go. I wasn't choosing to go to Vietnam, right? Sure. But if I did have to go in, I wanted to do something, you know. And I and I'd mentioned I had taken uh, typing in high school. So I was a competent typist, I think, because I thought that was going to be an easy job. That became then your MOS as a typist. Right. Sent me to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri for a basic and both AIT. You know, zeroed in on finance. I was a payroll clerk. And then we came back from that and just was going to, you know, meetings every quite a couple times a month or in a summer camp in Fort Camp McCoy, I think it was, Wisconsin. And in the Pueblo crisis, I think in 68. That was January 1968. Yeah. The USS Pueblo, a reconnaissance ship, sails in international waters off the North Korean coast. Without warning, the vessel is suddenly attacked, boarded, and captured. 
What do you remember of that? I just remember that, you know, I saw it on the news a lot, and I just remember that there was a lot of talk about, uh, you know, the Hawks really, really wanting to increase the peop number of people that were heading over to Vietnam, and the Doves were saying, no, no, there's no draft. And the reservists were right in the middle. Without, without putting the draft in, they could up the manpower. You know, that hadn't happened too many times in the past. So they activated us and sent us to Fort Carson, Colorado, as that, a unit. That event, the, the taking of the Pueblo, captured headlines because oh, yeah. they didn't call them hostages then, but they were actually hostages. Right. They, they caught right. the whole crew right. and uh, did some nasty stuff with them, too. Forced them to sign a confession oh, that yeah. was later recanted. Is yeah, being untrue. Yeah. But that was the ticket that activated your reserve unit. It seems to be. Either that or it was a huge coincidence, <laughs> you know. But, you know, and as I mentioned earlier, we were up, you know, getting on the plane and saying, no, no, the Pueblo's over there. It's not in Vietnam, you know, it's in Korea. So what do you uh, think you're going to be? You went to Colorado, and then what do you think you're going to, uh, you're going to be sent? Where are you going to go? Well, Korea, I mean, Fort Carson, Colorado was like, at that time, they called it a repo depot. I mean, mm -hmm. you just went there. You hung out until your number came up. <clears throat> we had no job. So, you know, being the punks that we were, we complained. And uh, we even got a couple of newspaper articles in the Chicago American and Chicago Daily News. And one by one, we all shipped out to Vietnam, not as a group, but as individuals. As replacements? Yeah, right. We were going to a, a separate unit. I went to like an 820th transportation up in Kunyan uh, to replace a guy who had deros out or... or God forbid people that didn't make it. So, but it was a big place, Quinyan. Tell me about when you arrived in Vietnam. Oh, when you land, I've heard other people describe it, and it's the most accurate description. You can just feel the heat blast and the smell, you know, because there was, it seemed like every time a plane came in, somebody would lop a few mortars into Benoit in the Air Force, you know. So you'd hear, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, welcome, and you're running towards a bus. But the heat and the stench, the humidity was like, can I make the end of the day, much less a year? You know, it was just amazing. You know, you went to a barracks and hung around and wait until your number came to see what unit you're going to go to. And what ended happened up, for you? Where ended did you up spending going? about three days, and then they put me on a, I think it was a C-130, big lumbering plane with a bunch of guys sitting on boards in the in the belly, and up to Quinyan, which is in the Central Highlands, and it was a big place. Uh, it was for the... That was the first big port that the Seabees had built on the coast of Vietnam to get the ships in and everything. So it was a really a hub for ammunition and for petrol. So it's an ammo dump. Yeah, and, and it's also uh, a big repo thing. So if you and were going to therefore, be, it is yeah. a target. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it, yeah. It was a, it was a, I think a prime target. You know, you can get one by one in a jungle, but here you lob motor if you can get a fuel tank or a an ammo dump, which were, you know, pretty much in, buried in bunkers. Oh, that's a pretty big hit. Uh, did, did you know that going in? Did, no. Were you briefed by your fellow soldiers who said, you know, we, we're going to get bombed <laughs> or we're going to get mortared on a nightly basis, so no, get ready for this? No, you didn't no, know that? No, no, no. The first time it happened, it's like, whoa, <laughs> what the heck's going on? And then you learn pretty quick that when you hear that, boom, boom, you know, something's coming, and I can't remember what it was. You had eight seconds to... Do something. Okay, you know, get on your horse, go somewhere. So where'd you go? Anywhere you could. We had bunkers. You wanted to get out of, at that point, we actually had a barracks. When you're inside the perimeter, there was like barracks, long barracks. You wanted to get out of there. 
and you know, get into a bunker, a sandbagged bumper, or I said there's a Connex, something like that, that, you know, just something protective. That's like a trailer, a compartment of some sort. Yeah, it's like a huge dumpster, triple-sized dumpster, but instead of having top openings, it's got big barn doors on the end. And they used those to ship massive amounts of supplies. And 68, 69, they were shipping everything they could over there. Nobody even had track of what was coming in. So you Uh, said six nights out of the week you would be hit on a regular basis. Yeah. So how often are the mortars coming in? Is it a continuous Oh, fire? no, it'd be 10, 15 minutes. And then, you know, okay, survive that one and go back to bed after a while. And oh, how could you You sleep? could actually go back to sleep after a really? couple of months of that, you know. Okay, you get used to it? Yeah, because usually it's, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, a bunch of rounds come in, and then it's quiet. On one occasion, though, you go into the Connex... And you and a bunch of other soldiers are in there. How many guys are in there? Uh, 15 to 20 of us, I guess, uh, all coming out of one end of a, a barracks and two guys that were on the guard duty. And uh, we just got in there, pulled the doors closed because it's heavy metal steel. I'm not sure if it was a direct hit or hit the ground next to it, but it flipped it over. So, you know, guys would just pile up on top of each other. But the, the thing that got me was the, res- the resonance. Is that the right word? The, the sound. The sound. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I heard for a couple of days. You know, it was just like, mm, you know. It messed up your hearing. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it slowly came back and they explained it. You know, you're not going to go on, on sick call for that, right? No. There's guys with sucking chest wounds. You're going to go in and say, I got an earache? <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here, right. Well, did you emerge from that and say to each other, damn, that was close? Because no, it was. We, no. We, we were just happy that we were on our hind legs. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think one guy got a broken arm out of the deal. But other than that, that was probably the worst inside the wire. You know, there's always stories about guys breaking through, but we well, never you, really saw You would go that. outside the wire every once in a while as uh, yeah. H&I crew. Tell me what that means. Well, they called it harassment and interdiction. Yeah. And pretty much it was a policy that was put in by the our lovely government at the time, to uh, randomly bomb areas just to mess with the NVA and the Viet Cong. You never know where we're going to hit, so we're just going to hit wherever we want. It's a harassment. Did you know that then? Yes. Well, they call our little patrols that, so we would go outside the wire, never more than 100 meters, 200 meters, because there was still foliage around the outside. At that time, I never saw one, but there's a lot of what they call sappers, you know, yes. religious people that didn't mind dying, and they would wrap explosives and run up to the wire. And as soon as you shot them, they'd blow a hole, and everybody else would come through. So we were on kind of on the lookout for that. You didn't personally witness that, though? No, no, I didn't. But everybody talked about it, and of course, every time you heard a funny noise, you figured it was that. It gets in your brain. How, how do you defend against that? Uh, well, you clear the brush with Agent Orange, right? Yes. And you just try to kill all the foliage, you know, like 50 meters back from the wire. There was friendlies that were come up to the wire, too. You know, some of the some of these guys that had been there forever, you know, they had house girls that, that had to leave, and they would come back and throw their laundry over. You know, I mean, it wasn't exactly a, a highly secured wire. Back to your patrols, you'd go outside the wire. Right. H&I. Tell me what, what would a particular, what would a, a basic trip like that involve? What would you be doing? 
if you were called out on a guard duty, you were either going to be in a tower inside or walk in the outside. And if you're walking the outside, you just you load up with a couple of clips and your weapon and helmet and you'd have a second lieutenant that's pretty much new in country who would say, I think they're over, I think there's somebody over here, let's go this way. And about ten guys would go, Bye, and we're going this way. You know, the idea was if there's nobody close, don't engage. We didn't have a lot of firepower, but we did run into some stuff. You know, there was a couple of villages that were not that far out of the wire where most of the LNs, the local nationals, lived that worked on the base. They would get hit once in a while. You know, once we were out there, you know, they started a lot of incoming for that small arms fire, but uh, never got shot, never, you know. Were you ever in any firefights? I personally wasn't, but I never shot at anybody who wasn't shooting at me, but pretty much hit the ground, frankly. You know, you go from, I think I mentioned once, you go from total boredom to abject fear. You know, you just like... What am I doing here? This is a waste of time. And then, okay, wow, I got to do something. When you would come back from a patrol, did you occasionally sit around with your fellow soldiers and say, what in the hell are we doing here? <laughs> Only daily. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't reach any resolve, did you? No. Right. You but just take orders. Was there a good reason for being there? You know, I mean, you know, there's always got some gung-hos, you know, and some career people. I guess if you were a major and a captain, you want to be a 20-year person or a you know, staff sergeant, and you were going for retirement, you know, serving a tour or two there you know, really enhanced your standing. For most of the guys like me, E4s, I'm, luckily I made E5. You know, just stay alive. That's the mission. That's my mission, stay alive. I wasn't fighting the fall of communism, the domino theory. I was trying to stay alive. So you're not in any way wedded to the notion, the ideological fight, that we got to stop the spread of communism. That doesn't enter into your equation. Not one bit. Not one bit. I, in hindsight, I'm really angry about the whole thing because of all the 58,000 and change people who lost their lives, and I can't really equate a really good reason for it. It, it didn't make sense then, really, and now it really doesn't make sense. You know, But, you know, what are you going to do? Well, I, I presume you've watched a lot of the retrospectives, a lot of the documentaries and the postmortems that have been done on involvement in Vietnam? No, actually, I've never seen one. Really? I can't watch it. You don't watch movies. it? No. According to some of these guys at Heinz, I, I was very efficient at practicing avoidance for 40-some years, and now they're trying to get me into immersion a little bit, so start exposing myself to stuff, which is pretty difficult for me to do. So, no, I can't watch any of those movies. It's best left behind. Yeah, if it doesn't, you know, I avoid the triggers. And that, that seemed to work for a lot of years. Okay, avoidance to immersion. Yeah, that's one What of does the, this mean for you? Uh, well, they say you ought to really write down some of your experiences and relive them and talk to some other vets about them and, uh, you know, read a couple of books. There's one called Cherries. It's really good. It's difficult to read. It's emotional to read, but it's helped a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Are you dealing with PTSD? Yeah, yeah. Big time? Um, since I retired, it's really bit me. Because you have more time to think. Yeah. I mean, at that point, I was, you know, flying every week. I was back and forth to Europe, and I was... For your you job. Know, heavily involved. Yeah. Right. right. And, uh, you know, once I retired, I found myself with too much time, time to think. Time on your hands to think. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I joined up Honor Flight right away. Because that gets me involved again. And uh, 
people say, boy, you're helping those vets. I think it helps me more than them. Yeah. Uh, it's been really good. So how are you dealing with it when, uh, when you seek counsel with someone? How do you, um, what do you talk about? They try to extract a little bit at a time and see what, you know, what's bothering you now, what keeps flowing in your mind. And, you know, yeah, it varies. Do you have the capacity to say to yourself, I can't go here. I don't want to let my mind go in this direction. Yeah. I got to yeah. shut it off. Yeah. Or is it more important that you say, I got to deal with this? Uh, <laughs> the former rather than the latter. Okay. You know, it's, you know, I know I have to deal with more than I am, but, uh, you know, for 40 years, I didn't admit that I was in Vietnam. I never wore a hat or a T-shirt or anything. You hung everything up. Yeah. Uniform. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I got back, I was done, you know. And then as soon as I, as soon as I saw the BS going on, because I had no idea until Did I you came personally back. catch any of that when you came home? Uh, well, I was warned. We were on a bus on the way to SeaTac Airport to come home in uniform with the military, with the medals and everything else. And we were warned because at that time, that was before TSA, obviously. So the, the terminal, the restaurant, everything is full of people. And we're getting a lot of, I don't say not overt, but a lot of nasty, evil eyes. And, you know, so once I got my boarding pass, because you had to have a uniform to get your half price at that time. So once I had my boarding pass, I went out and changed into civilian clothes in the bathroom. It's funny, three other guys and myself, we left all those medals in an ashtray as a tip for the, uh, the bar lady, the waitress. So it's a big pile of... <laughs> I mean, no purple hearts or anything, but, you know, just a normal nonsense, you know. Uh, Campaign medals. Yeah, and right, the, and the ribbons that. and all that stuff. When you came home, uh, did, did people want to talk to you about it, or was it just, totally did they ignored. leave it alone? They totally ignored. ignored, yeah. I did try to go to, uh, I went to COD for, I got a... College of DuPage. Yeah. I only got 18 months uh, benefit. I'm not sure why, because I was a reservist, I guess. But after a while, I saved up and I was going to go to DePaul on my, and get the finished in marketing. They had a program where you got uh, occupational credits. In other words, this, you know, a, a middle-aged person could go there and say, well, I would did this, 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 and you got college credits for your experience. Uh, so after the second class, the instructor, and it was in a remote facility, probably up, I don't know, Displains or Schaumburg or somewhere, remote DePaul, not downtown. I was probably the oldest one in there. And it came up that I had just gotten back a year and a half ago or so. And one of the, in a break out in the hallway, two kids came up and a young man, my almost my age, and asked me why I thought I should get college credits for killing people. So that was like, <laughs> so. How did you handle that? I almost went to jail. Yeah. And knocked him out. And he didn't get up. So. But nothing ever happened. So I didn't go back to DePaul. That was the end of that. That was the end of that experiment, yeah. So it kind of seems like you were reaching out and trying to do something. Well, maybe. I wanted to get, you know, I had a wife and a child and a mortgage, and I wanted to try and get a degree so that I could make a living. I had no discernible skills from the Army to lean on. So uh, luckily when I came back, I had a job, and they saved that job for me. So I was employed, but I just wanted to get more. Thank you. 
You were married when you went to Vietnam, and yes. you had a child. You had a right. son. Yeah. And he was a newborn. Well, I was six, six months, months old when I left. Yeah, he was born at Fort Carson Army Hospital. Okay. What a way to start life. And you're going off to war. Yeah. And when you're in Vietnam, for eight months, you didn't get a chance to talk to your wife. You finally did. One time One time yeah. in eight months. Yeah, that was, you know. She had, had to, we had to give up our place, and she had to go live with her parents in Oakbrook Terrace. So, yeah, that was, I think it was ham radio. I'm not sure in the technology, but. But that's, that's so agonizing. You have a newborn, a young yeah, man right, you right, brought into right. the world, and you're not there, and you, are you worried that you're not going to be there? You're not going to make it home from Vietnam? Well, of course. You know, you only think about that hourly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, that's what I mean. You go from, from just total boredom to, you know, saying your prayers. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, a weird, it's a weird dichotomy of, you know, what your mind can do in a matter of a day, you know. Uh, Agent Orange, you yeah. were exposed to that. You watched it fall from the sky. Describe yeah. that. Well, if you were, especially if you were on the perimeter in a guard duty, even in a tower that, that has no roof on it, some of them had roofs and tarps or something, but, but they didn't fly as much at night, but right about dusk, the choppers would go very low and just try to spray the perimeter. Not too far outside there, there was a landing zone. Uh, the helicopter would, would, you know, the dust-offs, they would bring in injured. They wanted to keep that clear, and the, you know, because the helicopter, as soon as they come down, they take small arms fire and... Yeah, it was just, you get coated with it. And, you know, we didn't have a excess capacity of, of water. And what we did have was oftentimes cold water. So we didn't know enough to immediately shower. You know, you just went to bed. You didn't have any instructions then? No one told no, you? No, no, there was. In fact, I've been, I was on a helicopter that, that one guy was spraying Agent Orange, Orange out the door. And I'm just kind of holding his back. With a cigarette in my other hand, you know, and it's like, and it's got to be blowing back on you. A oh yeah, bit too. you just get kind of covered. But when it but, covered, when it got on your skin, did it kind of uh, form a coating of some sort? Well, if you didn't get it off, you know, it would kind of crust up. You know, I don't know if there's different kinds of Agent Orange, but from what I understand, the the kind that was most prevalent was in the, the barrels with the orange stripes on them. Which is why they called it Agent yeah, Orange. It yeah, wasn't it's not orange. colored. No, it's orange. clear, basically. Right. Uh, but no, it would get on your skin, and it was almost like if you took bug spray or something and you know, sprayed it all over you. A healthy coating of it. Yeah, yeah. It would you know, it'd almost peel off. But again, we didn't know enough to... Today, I would run to the shower and, <laughs> oh, right away. and wash myself off. But Well, uh, how about effect on your health? Do you think that there's a... A linkage between you, you have lung situation that's troublesome. Right. I got about 30% of my lungs left. And do you think that's directly due to Agent Orange? Yeah, I've had the VA doctors tell me that. That they, look, it's not presumptive and it could be any much of things, but the fact that you were there and involved and sprayed every other day, <laughs> there's pretty good evidence that that was it, but it's not presumptive. Okay, not presumptive means it's not a qualifying factor. It's not a qualifying factor to get, I mean, any benefit out of it. Or, But they do, after fighting with them for a couple of years, they do pay for my meds. You know, one inhaler that I use is pretty expensive, and, you know, it would be like 470 bucks if I bought it, and I get it from the VA for like 11 bucks. But you're still trying to win your argument that your COPD is due to Agent Orange. No, nah, I've kind of dropped that. It's not, it, 
you know, they may approve it someday, but right now there's other stuff in there. But Agent Orange is, you know, if I lump that in with the other things, I mean, it'll immediately get thrown out. But So why run the risk? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I might get something for hearing, but, you know, I'm se- I'll be 76 this month. You know, come on, I'm not going to, you know, I can live without that stuff. Right. You know? On one occasion, you're in a helicopter and you're flying kind of low and you take some shots to the to the rear of the helicopter, to the rotor? Yeah, I was actually, uh, as I recall, I was hitchhiking by helicopter, you know, from landing. LZ to, to LZ. Yeah, trying to work my way south to get to that ham radio thing. And it took like, I don't know, eight, ten hours to make those 15, 20 miles because I'd go two stops this way and go ahead. You know, when a helicopter comes down, you run and you get on and you hope they're going the same way you're going. But if not, you're not getting off again. You're going, you're going and you start over. But I don't know about the technology, but when, you know, when they, they've never really totally land, it seems like. They're always hovering. And when they take off, they just go up right to treetops and, you know, because they keep the line of fire down. And totally my fault. I didn't have my strap on, a door gunner strap. When they went, I was on this side and I went out, you know, and luckily landed in water. How far did you fall? Seemed like a mile, but it was probably a couple of stories, you know. It's, But it just hurt my back. Didn't break anything? No, it just swollen up. I had some pretty... They said swelling would go down and I'll be able to walk soon. And, Anybody come to your rescue? Oh, they. You know, another chopper came in and picked me and another guy up. So just took us back to the... Just another day point. trying to get to the ham operator so you can talk to your wife. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well. Wow. No, it wasn't really hurt. It's just the bumps. You okay. Know? Well, you when you came home, there's this long period that goes by. And then in 1986, there's the Welcome Home Parade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was meaningful for you. This and there it is. The vet, <laughs> you're wearing a shirt that the, the Veterans Welcome Home yeah, Parade. Yeah. That was... A momentous occasion. Oh, absolutely. And it was so valuable for so many of the vets who came home, men and women. Yeah. Yeah. It was was an astounding event. I was at a lake house down in Indiana. And I think got up at 2 in the morning and drove downtown. I just left my wife a note on, I'll be back, you know. And I spent the day there, and I went back to Indiana. So, but yeah, it was pretty much of a celebration, I guess. It was something that had not been done for you guys. Not that I know of. Not that I know of, yeah. How did that make you feel at the end of the day when you well, walked away? Well, it kind of broke the ice for me, you know. It was an emotional day. You know, I wasn't ashamed anymore because I was surrounded by other people that were doing the same thing. So, it, you know, it, it was a good thing. It was a good thing. So, for D. Simmons, there have been steps along the way. Yeah, yeah. And... You've hit some other steps now, too, where you kind of are able to forget about avoidance and immerse yourself into yeah, telling your little story. Bit, a little, little bit, bit, yeah. yeah. It's not something you're going to forget, nor do I want to forget. But you just uh, deal as best you can. And, you know, i got a life to live and a family and, you know. Let me bring you to another, another episode on a, a homecoming in, in we were both recently at this the Honor Flight Chicago right. Volunteers Luncheon, Appreciation yes. Luncheon. Yeah. And I was told to ask you, when was the last time you were in this building, which is the 
VFW oh, yeah. Hall in Villa Park. Yeah, right. And the last time you were in that building was 55 years earlier for your wedding reception. That's well, you know, yeah, we had a wedding reception there in the, in that hall and but I didn't when I came back from Vietnam, I think it was about 1970, 71. Since my dad was either the vice commander, I don't remember, but he was heavily involved in the VFW. And so I went in there, and at that time, they've remodeled it since, but there was a big horseshoe-shaped bar downstairs, and, and there was a rifle range. I shot on their rifle team when I was a teenager. And I went in, and I don't know what I was expecting, but I introduced myself, and a bunch of old guys were there, and they said, We're, what's up? I said, well, I was up back, and I wanted to, you know, you know get involved if I can, you know. And they said, we're really not talking to or dealing with Vietnam vets yet. So, uh, uh, but, you know, you're welcome to have a beer if you want, but we're not involved with Vietnam yet. How in the world does that happen? How does that happen? Well. Did you understand it then or did you feel no, a rejection? No, I, I understand it now. Yeah, at that time I did, you know. I understand it now because at that point, these were all World War II vets, you know in varying degrees of combat probably and you know this was the real war this was the one the greatest generation blah blah and uh, we were a bunch of punks that were committing atrocities right dope heads you know some of them went to canada so i could see where vietnam vets were thought less of by them and the general public you know getting a job or you know you didn't want to wear a sign that said vietnam vet you know it was not not the place to be so, yeah, I just said, okay, bye, and I left there. And, I, and you was, hadn't uh, been back. Hadn't been back since the day I met you over there. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you're not punks, and you're not everybody. Somebody may have spoke to Jay now and again over there, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're not dope heads. Yeah. And I think it's been demonstrated pretty completely that you went over there to serve. You didn't yeah. want to be there, maybe, but you went over there to yeah. serve, and you risked your life. So yeah. it doesn't. So what's happened since that has changed the scale? Well, I think it became fashionable. The shoot du jour, the veteran du jour, the Vietnam vets. All of a sudden, they started getting some press, and it became, you know. Uh, in fact, we just passed Veterans Day, which is a bit more than a mattress sale now, maybe you know. <laughs> which is all, what I usually saw all those years <laughs> you know we've gone beyond the mattress sale <laughs> yeah oh, so, but you know I, I just think it became more popular to I got an honor flight sign out in my front yard mm-hmm. I would have never done that you know I never wore a hat or a shirt or you know but you know now it's become okay in fact mm-hmm. I think it's almost becoming a little overdone you know, it's just the shift, the mind shift. And I understand the I understand the old guys at the bar at the VFW because at that time, that's what they knew. You're a forgiving sort. <laughs> well, I grudged it for 40 years. Come on, I can yeah, give it up after that. You can that. give it up after 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Well, you went on the honor flight in July with 102nd. Uh, no, June. Ah, uh, June. One a second, 102nd, right. Okay. And we didn't get home until yeah, 2 in the morning. A, Two in the morning, but it was pretty cool. There was a lot of people, and my daughter had flown in from California, and my son was went on the flight with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my daughter picked up my wife and took her there, so it was pretty cool. When you were at the wall, that was that your first time at the wall? Or had you no, been there I had before? gone there 
I was in Baltimore one time on a business trip, and I just took the day and went over there by myself and didn't handle it very well. So I hadn't been back since. But uh, Do you mind telling me what happened when you went that first time? No, I just uh, I kind of broke up a little bit and kind of walked away. It was kind of embarrassing, you know. How about the second time when you're with Honor No, it was, it was better. My son was with me and found a couple of buddies, and uh, I didn't do the rubbings and all that stuff, but, you know, uh, you know, just said hi. You found a couple of guys you knew who were yeah, lost there? right, right. The whole trip was good. Uh, that was either the highlight or the low light, depending on, on your point of was view. Was it therapy? Yeah, I think so. You know, I see any other guys and talking about it a little bit, you know. It was the whole thing was pretty good. So D Simmons today, you're wearing your Honor Flight Chicago shirt sweatshirt right now. Uh, do you do you wear your veteran cap in public? Oh, uh, or do I, you think that's a little over the top? I wear it occasionally. Um, I go to a vet center in St. Charles for coffee on Wednesday mornings, and everybody there wears their. Most of them are Air Force guys yeah. uh, and Marines, but yeah, I, I will. Oh, I will wear it now. Uh, I'm not totally comfortable, but, you know, I don't mind people knowing it. I don't want to talk about it with them, but I don't mind them knowing it, which is uh, halfway there. I hope you get all the way there. Yeah, yeah. You're working uh, on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you ever have moments where you sit back and you try to take it all into perspective and moving on to age 76, do you say, this is where I was, this is what I did, this is what I've been through? This is what I've learned from this experience, and this yeah. is what I want other people to know about my experience. Well, I don't, I don't regret for a minute having been there. I mean, you know, through the rest of my career even, you know, we're 50 years in business, and somebody would give me a hard time or disagree with me, and in the back of my mind, I guess, what are you going to do, send me to Vietnam? You know, what are you going to do, shoot me? <laughs> so it puts there, things in pers- it puts things in a bit of a perspective, but uh, no, I, I don't have a, a problem. It was such a small period of time of my life, but it has changed my whole life. You know, my wife says I'm totally different than when I went. You were a kind of a rule breaker when you were younger. I think you said, yeah, but yeah. N- not now. No, Is that no how it's changed fact, your life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's back the opposite. I get mad at people if they break, if the, they rules. break the rules. Yeah. <laughs> You're and the teacher now. <laughs> and that's like the honor flight, you know, when you get 119 bets and everybody gets up line, everybody does what they're told. You know, I mean, that's what you do. <laughs> but I get a little bit frustrated because uh, the kids that get all the headlines makes you feel really depressed. And then you see this operation education, and that gives you some hope. That those kids don't don't participate in all the nonsense. Therefore, they get no press. But you know, seeing that, they they want to know. They want to know, which is the importance of guys like you yeah. telling your stories. They want the to know reason, about that. That's the only reason I do this. Yeah, uh, I think that's important. I hope you keep it going. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Gives my purpose for doing this. Yeah. Thanks, D. All right. Great. Appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, Thanks too. Thanks for coming over. Yeah. Thank All right. You. 
We hope you found today's Honor, Thank, Inspire episode to be moving and meaningful. And if you did, please consider sharing this podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The impact Honor Flight Chicago has on the lives of our veterans and their families is made possible by the generosity of our donors. To support our mission to find our veteran application, to volunteer, or simply for more information, please visit us at honorflightchicago.org. Thank you.